live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Everybody knows the list of things that are considered inevitable. Inevitable. Everybody should know that as part of the inevitability of things, that some team is going to gag away a game to TB45 and that that's always going to be on that list of inevitable. You know the list. Inevitable. Death, taxes, and an entire football team peeing down their legs in front of Tom Brady. Lock that up. Those are some of the most inevitable things in life. No matter how old Brady gets, no matter how much he looks like Kevin Bacon, it never fails. It feels like no matter what, some team is going to show up and gag away a game to this dude for the rest of the time, and it happened again. You know, Bacon 45 might be inevitable, inevitable, and it did happen again, but I will say this. He made the inevitable look really difficult last night. In fact, he made inevitable look damn near impossible last night. On top of that, he made 45 years old look 45 years old. Except for those moments when he was raging around, throwing tantrums, and screaming at people, including his punter. Then he made 45 years old look like 8 years old. For essentially 55 minutes of that game last night, that was the kind of night that old Bacon Face was having. A terrible night. A nightmarish night. One of the single worst nights of his career. And yet somehow, some way, this guy walks away a damn conquering hero. With everybody acting like he just won an eighth Lombardi. Because for most of the night, the fact is, Bacon could not make any throws. And the, quote, suckaneers were going full suckaneer and could not move the ball at all. Tom was doing Tom things, screaming, stomping, and spazzing out on the field after every missed throw, which was essentially every single throw. I mean, it was that bad. It was horrific and sloppy as hell. It was an unwatchable mess, which is why and how Tampa found themselves down 16-3 to in the final five minutes in the first place. But that's when New Orleans apparently realized, you know, inevitable. We don't want to win this game. It's like they thought collectively, wait, hey, hey, what are we doing here? What's going on? We don't want to win. In fact, what we really want is to gag and choke and die on national TV in this game. And in that way, the Saints actually had a really successful night because they absolutely did succeed in gagging and choking and dying right there on national TV. It's almost like they held up and said, time to die on three. One, two, three. Time to die! New Orleans starts to drop passes. They run out of bounds on a yard short of the marker on a critical third down. They take a brutal too many men in the huddle penalty in the red zone. They even got a second chance at the very end of the game to make one last stop. Get the hell off the field. Get out of there. Don't finish the choke. Save yourselves. But they couldn't do that. Because after being down 16-3, to with just over three minutes to go, the Bucks actually managed to score twice in the final 19 seconds to win that game. The first one got called back for a hold, and then two plays later, they somehow did it again. Eight seconds to go, down by six. Brady back, 
Packs his arm, a lot of congestion, throws a pass, caught by the rookie running back at the goal line, spins, dives, touchdown, Rashad White! Touchdown pass by Brady! They've tied the game! Three seconds to go! Credit WW1, Westwood 1, like I said, inevitable. Inevitable that some team is going to roll into Tampa and suddenly forget how to play football at the worst possible time. The Saints went from utterly dominating the Bucks defense, or I should say offense, for 55 minutes to essentially welcoming the Bucks into their end zone with their Matador D for the win twice. Twice. It's due for them. Now, if it seems like I'm being unnecessarily harsh or going with a hot take, I'm not. I'm not. The numbers bear this out. Teams, check this out. Teams over the last five years were 2-530 and 530 coming into last night when leading by 13 or more in the final four minutes of regulation. Two wins out of 532 chances until the Saints snatched defeat from the jaws of victory last night. Until the Saints straight up choked and took a dump in their pants. You have a big dump in your pants. How else would you describe what they did? Even Bacon himself was 0-37 in his career during that same exact scenario in the regular season. Even Bacon has never quite seen a regular season collapse like the one that happened last night, like the one that collapsed right into his own lap. The dude just passed Pinky for most fourth-quarter comebacks in NFL history, but he's never had one fall into his lap quite like that one. And, of course, in response to that total New Orleans meltdown, bacon face ran around like he had just won the Super Bowl. Forget the fact that we just watched this guy play one of the worst games ever. Let's just act like he came back from down 28-3. I'm surprised there wasn't a whole damn trophy ceremony right there on the field after that game. Dude all of a sudden went from the most red-assed he'd ever been to the happiest he'd ever been. He's running around dropping let's effing goes on national TV. 23. Then he hits the podium all ready to start with the jokes. Just like we drew it up. Like we drew it up. Yeah, yeah, laugh that up, everybody. <laughs> it's like laughing to the most obvious dad joke ever. Just like we drew it up. <laughs> yeah, except that was the mood after the game. Like, if everybody just acts like everything is fine, then everything will be just fine. Just act like the team just won the Super Bowl and then act like the first 55 minutes of that game never even happened. But the first 55 minutes of that game did, in fact, happen. And they were borderline dominant for New Orleans. In fact, they were borderline erotic. For Saints fan, Brady was getting his ass kicked. The Saints offense was actually moving the ball at will against that Bucks defense. And then came the gagging and the choking and the dying and the predictably oh-so-sad Andy Dalton post-game presser. We didn't make the plays when they were there, and at the end of the game, they did. That's what it came down to. We had opportunities for that game to be very different than what it was, and 
know, I feel like I'm a broken record saying the same thing. We just missed opportunities. You feel like it's a broken record. Yeah, me too, brah. I feel like a broken record. I feel like a broken record saying and asking to see some Jameis Winston. I feel like a broken record asking to see some Jameis freaking Winston. I mean, seriously, is this really too much to ask? Last night just proved my point. Even on the Red Rifle's best night, he's still the Red Rifle. He's now lost eight straight primetime games for a reason. Even when it's not really truly his fault, the end result is always the same. It's never going to change. You know why? It's inevitable. He can't win a big game, and he cannot talk smack either. He can't. I mean, I'm... (laughs) I'm disappointed in him to, I mean, for the integrity of this game. There's a lot of, a lot of kids and a lot of people that look up to him. And for him to make comments like that, they mean, he's just showing that, you know, yeah, that's acceptable to, to, to do that kind of stuff and say that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, it's disappointing for one of the best players in this league to come out and say something like that. Um, so, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. I think JJ's a good player. But for him to be one of the best in this league and to show that integrity and to show that type of, you know, it shows what he's about, which is, which is disappointing. A broken record saying the same thing. We just missed opportunities. That was, without question, the worst, quote, clapback I've ever heard in my life. I mean, that was in response to, like, D-plus smack. Make the red rifle look like a red rider BB gun, and I think we did that. Wow. Wow. Jameis, on the other hand, unlike Dalton, is always prepared. I just think we were prepared. For Jameis. My uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. Always prepared. Also with Jameis, football is his passion. My my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. Right. Exactly. And he takes care of his body with an expert knowledge of his anatomy. Our body is so symmetrical, right? You got you got your wrists, you know, and then you, what are your wrists on the bottom half? Your ankles, you know, you got your shoulders up top. What are your shoulders? Your hips, you know what I'm saying? You got your elbows. What are your elbows? Knees. Your knees, right? Like, so uh, it's symmetrical and you just got to work different parts. You, you find me something more demonstrative, more illustrative more descriptive. You find me something that looks and sounds more like a QB one than that. You can't. And then the best part of all, he's not Andy Dalton. That whole game felt like a broken record. An inevitable broken record. Broken record. Another win for the zombie quarterback who just will not go away. Another gag job to said zombie quarterback. Another primetime letdown for Red Rifle. And another morning of Tom Brady in first place, even if that division that he's leading is the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL right now. Now, I will say this in defense of the zombie bacon face. The physical tools might be slipping, but not the sense of humor. I mean, this guy's still out there at 45. 
and there's still that one team or two teams a year that will gag and choke and take that inevitable dump in their pants, even F45, I'm telling you, on humor alone, on humor alone, this dude could play until he's 90. He'd be up there like, hey, yo, this thing's still on? Just like we drew it up. (laughs) Dude, stop it. Just like we drew it up. This thing on? All right, so I took a nap before the game, and I dreamt I was a muffler. When coach woke me up, I was exhausted. (laughs) We drew it up. Hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. After that TD, I told Rashad White, I'm buying him dinner. We're going to a restaurant on the moon. Crazy, right? Yeah, great food. No atmosphere. (laughs) We drew it up. Hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. Speaking about things going as planned, what do you call a crocodile that loves planning? And... Allocator! We drew it up. Man, you guys are the best, truly. You guys are awesome. See you next week in San Fran. Hey, I heard Baker might be there. Did you know Giselle was a baker? Yeah, I broke up with her because she was too needy. We drew it up. (laughs) Love to see it. Love to see it. A baker. A baker who was mean. You know why? She liked to beat the eggs and whip the cream. I'm talking with Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com, who is describing the businesses that have benefited from a tax refund via the Employee Retention Credit, the ERC through the IRS. What kind of companies have come through as a result of hearing me talk about this message on the air? Can you give me some examples? We have a uh, Best Pizza. It's in Brooklyn, New York, 12 employees. We were able to qualify them for $56,000. We were able to gap another $56,000 for them, and they were ecstatic. We had a medical professional company in San Diego with 250 employees get $3.5 million. Their workforce was deemed non-essential by the government. And so they had a huge revenue decrease and that's how they qualified. And they they are one of the groups that really maximized this credit. We've got a group in Kansas that's also an employment agency. They've got 72 employees. We able to get them $167,000. And that's just three of the companies that OmegaTaxCredits.com has helped. There is time still for you to apply and determine if your small business qualifies for a tax refund like this. You've weathered the pandemic and the economy. So see if you qualify. Omega Tax credits.com quarterback sean clifford is my guest sean good to have you back on how are you good jim how are you good good so penn state's gonna play utah of course in the rose bowl your final game in the rose bowl no less what's it mean to you to play in that game in your final game as a collegiate player it it means the world jim it really does i posted this week a picture of myself at the rose bowl when i was in third grade and it's coming full circle for me now, being able to do that with my dad and one of my best friends and his dad, go to a camp out there when I was that young, kind of have that inspiration of, of playing in a game like that one day and now being able to do it and having those dreams come to life. It means a lot. I think that's cool. Sean Clifford joining us. So Sean, Utah just laid waste to USC for a second time this year. They knocked them out of the college football playoff. What are your early thoughts on the Utes? I think that Utah has a fantastic football team. I just started to prep for them yesterday, got to watch a couple games. They play extremely hard on defense. Uh, I haven't seen their offense, but I can only imagine that they 
um, have some serious talent there as, as I was watching the game uh, against USC on Friday. But I think that from a defensive perspective, uh, you know, they got big guys up front um, in, the, in, in the interior. I think that they're, they're, they're super heavy and they're hard to move. Um, and then the, on the, the end, you know, they play fast with a high motor. Uh, their linebackers are super solid and their DBs are super solid as well. And I think that overall they, they, they do a lot of different things. So they present a bunch of different challenges that we're excited to uh, attack over this next month and uh, see on January 2nd. Penn State senior quarterback Sean Clifford, my guest. So you've got that big one left. I know you're all about that. But you look at it, Sean, you've had an amazing journey at Penn State. As you look back on your career there, how would you describe it? What kind of thoughts do you have? It's been Every, every kid's dream come true uh, to be able to play in front of such a fantastic fan base for so long, have the opportunity to play in some of the biggest games um, in the country every year. You know, it, it's what you aspire to do as a young quarterback. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine it any better way, uh, you know, just how my career's gone. It's been a lot of ups, lots of downs, learned through it all. And realistically, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I've, I've come out much better on the other side, thanks to the, the coaching staff, my teammates, the administration, and the fan base. So, um, you know, can't say enough about my career at Penn State and how happy I've been with it uh, and the people that I've gotten to, to meet and connect with. My man, you're a good dude. You're a good dude because I know, there, and there have been ups and there have been downs, and it has not been easy. You said something recently I thought was kind of funny and kind of interesting, Sean. You said, quote, I love everything about Penn State, and it's going to be sad to leave. At the same time, the Penn State community is definitely ready to see someone new. I'm with them, end of quote. So let me ask you, was your tongue firmly planted in your cheek when you said that, or do you mean they're ready for a change and I really don't blame them? Yeah, I think that it's one of those things where, you you know, I've been here for six years, I've started for four, and with college football and how however changing it is with the transfer portal and new guys coming in and out as much as we've ever seen in college football, uh, you know, for me, my time is up here at Penn State. I've done everything that I've wanted to do. I enjoyed my ride, and, you know, I think that, you know, the quarterback room that we have now, um, they're excited to play and they're excited to have their opportunities. Couldn't be more proud of that room, um, the room that I'm a part of right now, uh, being a leader in that group. I can't wait to see what they do in the future and what Penn State does, and I'll be cheering on from from the television screen or in person, but can't wait to see what the future holds for Penn State. Sean Clifford joining us. Now, statistically, you're going to go down as the program's all-time leading passer in a number of categories, but in terms of legacy, how do you want to be remembered for your time there? Yeah, I think that the numbers are very cool to look back on, and, and realistically, all the numbers show is the different experiences and, and games that I got to play in with, with such great teammates and against such great teams. Uh, those are the memories that I have the most. So realistically for me, I hope that I've left a legacy of leadership, uh, accountability, and a uh, strive for excellence every single day because that's, you know, that's what I was raised with with my, with my family, um, and that's the, the legacy that I hope stays behind um, at Penn State in the quarterback room on the team, just uh, ho- hoping to be a spoke in the wheel to, to continue to make Penn State a better place. I think that's great. Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford, my guest. They are number 11. They're going to go up against Utah in the Rose Bowl. That's January 2nd. Great matchup there. Sean, we kind of joined that segment or started that segment kind of late, so I wish we had more time to spend, but really good to get caught up with you. I appreciate that time. Have a great month, and I'm looking forward to seeing that game. Good luck to you. Thank you, Jim.
Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. Let's go to Paul's Dog. Paul's Dog, what's going on? Happy holidays. Hello, Rim Room. Ring, wrong, ring, wrong. Ring, wrong, ring, wrong. Bark, hear the clones, banging up the phones. Cringy V and Luffy, Bella B and Calgary. Rachel's Harry back, Dale Harris, that's whack. Rick is a putz, Vic and no cow sucks. Toby in H-Town, hanging out with Larry Brown. Carl in Rosemead with his B-I-S-B. James appropriating, Ralphie's procreating. Chalk is a vamp, Rick is a grip. Jungle Tourette's, Big Head's Bets. Rim, room, rim, room. Berry, berry, berry a bone. Rend of the song, remember who is gone. Randall in the O.C. non-Hunter in St. Louis. Mike in San Diego, Trapper said to see you go. Merry, 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 Merry Christmas, close. <coughs> that Caroline game is hard, dog. <coughs> Roar, can smack claws, giving me a golden biscuit. Uh, they're scrumptious, rough me, rum route. Wow, Paul's dog, bravo. That was so good. That was so good. Don't you come up in here cracking on that mutt. That was so good. Not only is that pooch singing, that was lyrically genius. That was so good. I don't know how many of those references you picked up on. I know myself. I'd have to listen to it back to get every single one of them, but I got most of them. That was so, so good. Alvin, you make sure he's racked. Make sure he has a golden biscuit. If he doesn't already. That was incredible. A lot of big names into the transfer portal. I'm watching this, too, as we go. 1-800-636-8686. So, once again, why is that dog so polarizing? What is not to like about that dog? That is so good and so funny. I mean, I'm so tempted to play that right back and break that down. There were so many great references in that. A Christmas Carol for the Clones from Paul's Dog. And yes, he has himself a golden biscuit. What if the dog were to win a smack-off? No dog has ever won the smack-off. No animal has ever won the smack-off. Paul's dog. Rummy room. Only on this show. Only on this show do you have some kook pretending to be a dog. And half the audience loves him, and half the audience hates him. 
This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help you regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app and see terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Philly. How we live in Philly. Now, I've been checking in quite a bit lately because y'all have been getting a lot of love around here this year. And it's basically because Philly, Philly fan, is in the middle of the best Philly sports moment ever. Am I wrong? The Eagles are still on fire. The NL champion Phillies might not have finished the job in the series, but they're already celebrating another gigantic dub right now, an enormous dub. In fact, if you're in Philly right now, You might want to keep an eye out. You talk about your Philly fan head on a swivel. Keep an eye out. An eye out for any airborne D-cell batteries. An eye out for any hammer-tossed, empty gray goose bottles. Dudes hanging off lampposts because that's how big that Trey Turner signing is. Philly is not just getting a spectacular player in Turner. He is that. The entire city just got the message in giant neon letters. The exact message that every fan base everywhere wants to see but doesn't hear. The message being, we're all in. The Phillies are serious now. They're not playing. They're not messing around. They're not all right with just being a flash in the pan or lightning in a bottle. They're not satisfied with a shock run to the World Series. They're trying to turn those runs into a regular occurrence. And they're willing to put the paper to make that happen. They're willing to put that paper out. Case in point, he could have gotten more money elsewhere, reportedly. But still, they're committing 11 years, 300 mil for Trey Turner. It's a lot of scratch. It's a lot of years. Especially for a guy who you know is not going to be a shortstop at the end of that contract. Maybe even not two-thirds of the way through that contract. But they don't give a damn. And that's what I love about that. The message that it sends. That's what it took to get that deal done. That's what it took to send the message that this is an open championship window. Dave Dombrowski, take a bow, brah. The Phillies president of baseball ops has somehow done it yet again. This dude is massively underappreciated even though he's guided four separate franchises to the World Series, including the Tigers, twice. I mean, that sounds wrong, right? Like, you have to check that. But it's true. That actually happened. He also has two rings, one of which he scooped in Miami. So he's won with the Marlins. He's won with the Tigers. He's won with the Red Sox. And he's winning once again in Philadelphia. Phillies owner John Middleton should get a shout-out as well because the man is straight up making it rain right now. Not only did he sign Bryce Harper to that 13-year, $330 million deal, he's now committing $300 million more to Trey. So now he's committed a cool bill, with a B, to six guys. Six guys right there. They are your 1B. 
Bill Phils. Six of them. The filthy rich fanatics. Man, you know things really changed in baseball when the Yankees are suddenly cheap. When stud shortstops are fleeing the Dodgers every offseason for a real payday. And the Phillies are out here spending a bill on a half a dozen guys. The Phillies. Hey, by the way, good for Brian Cashman on securing another four-year contract extension from the Yankees for himself. (laughs) Good thing they've got their priorities straight. Good thing they've got all their priorities lined up in the Bronx. Definitely make sure you take care of cash. Take care of cash first and foremost. Never mind signing Aaron Judge. I mean, who needs Judge when you have Cashman? Who needs Judge when you've got an executive with one ring to show for his last 22 seasons in charge of the Yankees? If only Cashman could suit up and play the outfield as well, they could finally make it official and tell Judge to just F off once and for all. Hey, do the Yankees by any chance need a shortstop? Do they even have a shortstop right now? Could maybe they have used Trey Turner? I don't know. Yeah, you know, maybe, but they had to take care of Brian Cashman first. Let's not get that twisted. And I understand that. I mean, cash has got to come first. I'm just saying. Isn't Yankee fan just a little bummed to see Trey get away? You know who else has got to be bummed right about now? Nats fan. Nationals fan has got to be sick. Because not only did Nats fan see both, both Trey Turner and Bryce Harper ultimately leave their team, they've got to deal with both these guys in their same division. They have to deal with both these guys 19 times next year. And quite possibly 19 times for the next decade. All of which is why that contract was so worth it for Philadelphia. I mean, yes, it is a lot of years. Yes, it's a lot of money. Just like the Bryce deal. But it's kind of like that Rams F them pick strategy for baseball. It's like F them back end years. F them picks. F them years when they're 40. F them picks. F them years when they're a 38-year-old shortstop. F them picks. They don't care. They don't care. They're going to worry about that in 10 years. They're not worried about that right now. They're worried about ripping championships right now. And they're built to win championships right now. Philly fan is just stoked as hell that their team is in win-now mode. They're hunting hunks of metal. They're chasing championships. I mean, they've already got the amazing fans. They've already got elite hecklers in place. I heard you get terrible swamp ass before every start. McCullers, Hoskins got with your girlfriend in high school twice. That is getting smoked. How much sticky stuff's in that hair? I know there's something in that lettuce. Don't even get me started on you. Valdez, what's in your glove? What the hell's in your glove? Show me the off speed. My grandma could have rocked that. You need to figure it out. I haven't seen a strike yet. Billy's money line. Billy's money line is free tonight. This dude is elite. 
That is elite heckling. Some of the best I've ever heard. So Philly fan deserves the one bill fills. One bill committed to a half a dozen guys. And the one bill fills are here to make one thing completely clear. They're all in. City of Philadelphia having a moment. Blue collar Philly having a moment. Blue collar Philly repped by the one Bill Phils and the elite Eagles. I love it. Looking really good. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Sidebar. Side note. Yes, I am aware of the Rebecca Howe passing. No, I did not know she was ill. Apparently she had cancer and it was a short bout. But I am aware. I am aware that Rebecca Howe is no longer with us. And I'm not going to lie. I think that it's kind of sad. It's sad when we lose most people. I've never met her. Big fan of Cheers. Frankly, not to be disrespectful, she was no Shelly Long. But Shelly Long made the dumbest career decision ever. Anyway, in terms of Kirstie Alley slash Rebecca Howe, it is sad. It's sad because it's sad. It's sad whenever we lose anybody, but also because her name has been woven into the fabric of this program for so many years. Yes, it's random, or it would have been random until this happened. What's going on? What's up? Uh, first of all, being a star linebacker in Canada, that just means you're a failed hockey player. Uh uh, Christy Alley, uh, Val Kilmer, Global Warming. So, if you can indulge me for just one moment, can we please, can we please not go with death pool resets? Can we please not go with the look Who's not talking tweets? Can we please not submit any more cheers? Signed the G Reaper. Can we please not email any more global warming 
you're next. Signed, death. Can we please not do any of that? Please. Please. Rest in peace, Kirstie Alley. You are a legend. Nothing and no one lasts forever. But in the heads of the millions of us with jungle Tourette's, this sound drop may in fact, well, last forever. Christy Alley. You may be gone, but the memory of you will be forever etched in our minds, in part because of this. For all of eternity. There you go. Clones, I've addressed it, and we're going to leave it at that. No. No, Alvy. Are you sure? I'm not going with that until I get confirmation. Hey, Jim, we are also known as Mr. Irrelevant. The ladies ignore us. Signed dudes in the same room as Jimmy G. Drew in West L.A. Maybe something to that. Oh, no. TMZ has... This is a rough day. TMZ reporting. Mills Lane has passed away. At age 85. Yes, clones, that's when you know what the answer that's to that, you know question the answer that question is. is. There that's you when go. You know what the answer to that question is. Head on a swivel, Harold Dean. <laughs> wow. Howard Dean, my bad. <laughs> I was just rattled. That's tough. First, Kirstie Alley, then Mills Lane. Kirstie Alley. That's when you know what the answer Head on a swivel, Howard Dean. <laughs> wow, this is tough. At least we have each other. Somebody might want to check on Melvin Gibson. Give me back my son! These things happen in bunches, man. Hey, Axel, how you feeling? James Kelly, shut your mouth. James Kelly's like, hey, man, better check on Iceman. Dude, dude, stop. That's not funny, dude, or cool. Hey, James Kelly, do you know if, in fact, I did everything that you suggested, you and I would both be out of a job? Dude, your sensibilities are really not good. They're below not good. I'll tell you what I am going to do. During the break, I mean, this guy's in amazing shape. I saw this guy doing one-arm push-ups online not long ago. Except when these things happen, they happen in bunches. During the break, I'm going to check in on my guy, Mike Gundy. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. If it was Kirstie Alley and Mills Lane. Kirstie Alley. I mean, anybody who is a legendary jungle drop best be looking over their shoulder right now. Head on the proverbial swivel. 
I'll tell you somebody else I'm going to check in on. Carl Lewis. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is not a good development. There is nothing positive about this. I'll make up for it now. Carl, you good, my guy? Are you good, my guy? I'll make up for it now. What about Coach Gundy? Garbage. All right, when we come back, I, I need to literally check in on a few loved ones. Jungle loved ones. Wow. Yeah, I admit it. I'm rattled. Philly, how we living? Trey Turner. So the Dodgers lose him. They miss on Verlander. Where does that leave them? Oh, and by the way, anytime the Yankees want to get around to taking care of Aaron Judge, that'd be cool. Oh, but they got Brian Cashman's deal done, so that's fine. That's fine. Don't sweat the big fella leaving. You got cash done, so that's good. All of that's still ahead. And the Greek freak. Dude, is Rich Ackerman, my man. How you feeling? We're going to find out. Here's a sports update. More importantly, Rich, how you feeling, dude? You all right? Uh-oh! Rich? Rich? CBS Sports Flash. Oh, fine now, but in last week I was rough shape. So Jane Humboldt is asking, does this mean that the jungle Deadpool is officially back? First of all, Jay, it was dead. Death, not dead. Death pool. And yes, I'm not proud of this. Frankly, I'm not proud of a lot of things we used to do back in the day. But yes, we used to have a death pool where we would try and speculate on what celebrity or athlete was going to be the next to die. We did. But then, like everything else, I realized that was not very responsible, nor amusing, or appropriate. So I killed the jungle death pool. So this guy's asking, well, does it mean it's coming back? I mean, after all, two famous, famous jungle folks have passed on within hours of each other. No, that's not something to capitalize on. That's really sad. Kirstie Alley passed away. Really sad. Mills Lane, according to TMZ, passed away at age 85. Great, great boxing referee. Great personality. That's really sad. Now, I guess, yes, I am guilty of saying, hey, I'll tell you what, head on a swivel, and it got me thinking about some other legends of the program, or at least legendary sound drops. So in jest, I said, I'm going to check on my guy, Coach Gundy. And then I asked, hey, Carl Lewis, how you feeling? Uh-oh. Maybe it's time for a jungle wellness check-in or roll call. Because these things do come in bunches. And it does make me nervous. And I'm a little bit leery of how the universe can operate at times. Maybe it is time to check in. Tanya, Nancy, how y'all living? See, the problem with doing this is every once in a while I get caught with somebody who has already passed on. And then somebody can't wait to let me know, like, hey, that's great, Rome. You know they passed away four years ago. And I have to always say, oh, I didn't know that. Why didn't you know that? You're paid to know that. How do you not know that? Oh, excuse me, my bad. As an example, 
I know who you want me to play. I honestly don't know if she is still with us. Yes, I do. Yoko? What kind of a day are you having? Hey, Yokes. How you feeling? I'm just nervous. The universe is sometimes wonderful, and sometimes it's cruel. And we lost two of our own. I'm afraid if these things happen in threes. Things do happen in threes, right? Tig, how you feeling? The golf course looks good. My golf swing feels good. I like my chances. Fuzz? Fuzz? The uh, little boy's uh, driving it well. He's putting well. He's, he's doing everything it takes to win. So you know what you guys do when he gets in here? Pat him on the back, say congratulations, enjoy it, and tell him not to serve fried chicken next year. Got it. Right. Can you freaking believe that that ever happened? But still alive. One of my favorites back in the day. Denny Nagel. Denny, what's up? That was the most amazing thing. He would come on the show and he would do that. And the best thing about that little parlor trick, he never got tired of doing it. People would always say, hey, Denny, do the train whistle. That was a human being that could do that. I have no idea how he could do that. Or how would you even know if you could do that? Hey, Denny, do that Do that locomotive thing. <laughs> Oge. Oge, you still around? Ron and Nicole were physically still dead, around. And it's almost like they killed me. Oh, Jera. How you feeling, Jera? 20% of me has been left on bourbon strike. <laughs> really? <laughs> Excuse me. Barely. Right. Barely. Barely, but still here. One of my all-time favorites Get me some oxygen. <laughs> is Buzz Aldrin feeling okay today. You're a coward and a liar and a thief. And you're lying on your back, a-hole. That joker chasing and antagonizing Buzz is probably dead. And a thief. No one's going to check on him. And a thief. All right, so anyway, these things do happen in threes. That's why I did that. I'm nervous. I am concerned. Drew and West LA is having a day. Mills Lane looks like Garrett Ritt after a cycle of testosterone replacement therapy. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, Drew, not anymore. Mills had a great life. 85. Wouldn't we all take that? People are living longer, but if somebody were to say to you at any point in your life, would you take 85, wouldn't the answer be yes? And don't tell me Kirstie would have said yes at 71. She had cancer. Joined by Trent Dilfer. Trent, it is so good to have you on. How are you? Tim, so good to talk to you, man. It's been a minute. My dude, Trent, I got to ask. I mean, you took a big swing in accepting that head coaching job at UAB. What has the first week on that job been like for you? <laughs> what a question. All right. I uh, got leaked on a Tuesday night, met with my high school team Wednesday morning, getting ready for the state championship. You can imagine a bunch of 16-year-old kids, their emotions, their families. It went amazing. Our kids were amazing. Our community was amazing. Tears, great practice, 
We're all over to Chattanooga on Thursday. We dominate in the state championship, but our second straight state championship shutout. I have a cheeseburger, say goodbye to the families, jump in the car, wife, me, Birmingham. She gets a ticket on the way down to Birmingham, driving too fast because we're fired up. Get down there, call every high school coach I can find in Alabama, tell them that I want to establish a relationship with them, connect with them, go 48 straight hours without sleep, watching prospects, my current team, uh, reshuffling the board, changing the board, installing my recruiting philosophy with the director of recruiting, hiring coaches, interviewing, blah, blah, blah. Drive back to Nashville. Compliance allows me to finish my banquet uh, with my high school kids, say goodbye to the community, give out our awards, hugs, kisses, tears, uh, all good. Uh, Next day, recruit, the first official day recruiting Nashville, jump in the car, drive to Mobile, seven hours in Mobile, one of the richest states, one of the richest areas in the country of talent and great coaching and I'm sitting here in a parking lot at a high school in Mobile, Alabama, getting ready to go talk to some coaches and get some great players. Holy crap, Trent. <laughs> that is amazing. That is a great, great response. Trent Dilfer is joining us. I mean, I could go a million different ways off that, but let me ask you this. Were you looking to make a move and take a shot at the collegiate level? Like, how did this all come down? No, it's actually a great question. Really interesting, too. It's kind of like the story of mine. I mean, we've known each other a long time. Um, nine weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting on the couch after a practice, and I had been getting blown up by ADs and presidents and search firms. And last year I went down the road with a, a university that offered me the head coaching job. I said no like six minutes into it. I didn't feel like my work was done at Lipscomb. I love the community. The community has meant so much to me, and I think we've meant a lot to them. Uh, you know, we took a program that was 3,000th ranked in the country four years ago and turned it into a top 10, top 10 uh, program in the country. So I wanted to finish that with them. And I looked at my wife nine weeks ago and I said, you know what, sweetie, I don't think I'm going to return these calls. Like, I'm happy. You're happy. We got a grandkid in Nashville, my oldest daughter, and my son-in-law just gave us this awesome grandkid. He's five months old. Love everything about it. And she looks at me and she goes, I agree, except for this. And she stares and she's 30 years of marriage now. You know, I, I know where she's going. She goes, you were made for more than this. And I went, what? She goes, they're going to love it. Like, your community here is going to be fine. You need to pursue some of these things because God's calling you to something bigger. You're made for more than this. And there's going to be a university that's going to hire you, and you're going to do the same thing there that you did here, which is change the city. Um, You're going to bring people together. You're going to unify people that don't even talk to each other. Um, You know, you're going to pour into their lives and make them better husbands and fathers and professionals. And on on the way of doing that, you're going to develop another great team because that's just what you do. And I said, okay, if you're on board, I'm on board. And I started, you know, talking to people. And then UAB, you know, I wasn't even on their list. Uh, I now know this. Like, they were down the road with a couple other guys deep. Uh, and they just got to know me. And the more they got me, they got to know me, the more they liked me, the more I liked them. I was looking for three things once I started going out of this thing. Number one, a president that cared about excellence. A president has to be devoted to excellence. He's got to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night thinking nothing more than how does he make that campus best in class. We have that in Dr. Watts. You got to have an AD, Mark Ingram's ours. He's got to be a. He's got to understand the impact of football, not the importance. Football is not more important than anything, Jim. I got Division One volleyball players, daughters, so I don't want it to be more important. But the fact of the matter is, it's more impactful. It impacts a university, it impacts an institution, a city, more than anything else on campus. Mark Ingram understands that. He was Peyton Manning Center at the University of Tennessee. He gets it. He's been around greatness in football. And 
mean, you got to have a donor base has proved it. All donor bases talk about it. They all have these big functions. We're going to raise all this money. We're going to give you resources. UAB's donor base has done it. They didn't have football. They had lost it. They raised millions, millions, and millions to bring it back, build a stadium, build a facility, hire best-in-class people. So all three boxes were checked. Then it was more just a like it, the region, the people, the hospitality. Could I see myself living there for 10 years? Can I have more grandkids come move to, near me? And the answer was yes, 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 yes. And it kind of became a no-brainer. Trent Dilfer is joining us. Another remarkable response. You know, Trent, you're so right about UAB. I've been talking about the program uh, on this program for years. Bill Clark came on the show a number of times. We talked about what it was like to bring this program back. And, you know, he is universally just revered there. So what is your vision for Blazers football? How big can you build this thing? How high can you climb? Another great question. I want to honor Bill because I've known Bill for years. He was great to me as a high school football coach. And really, that when you're a high school football coach, you learn a lot about colleges, how they roll into your room, how they recruit your players, how they interact with the high school coach. You sense their humility. They get it, right? Bill was a, Bill was a yellow school bus, school bus coach at one time. He was a high school coach, so he understood it. He built such an incredible foundation at UAB. What a challenge to bring it back, right? And, I mean, he – he, he put that thing on his shoulders and brought it back. And then Coach Vincent, the interim this last year, unbelievable man. And what he's doing with the awkwardness of me being hired and them still in the building, they're trying to win a bowl game. Nothing but respect. So the way I've been telling people is think about building a house analogy. They built this really cool house. It's got a strong foundation. The foundation's set. They just haven't put the Viking appliances in, right? They don't have the fancy art. They don't have the big backyard with the hot tub and the fire pit and the lawn and the pool and all that stuff, right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to recruit players that strictly have the potential, the ability, the traits to play in the National Football League. That's what I know best. Those are the schemes I know best. Those are the processes I know best. Those are the jobs I was offered for years. I know what an NFL player looks like. I know what they, how they tick. I know their pedigree. I know how they've been trained. Like, I did this for a long time, and then when I wasn't doing it, I was studying it. That's what I did for nine years at ESPN. I studied programs. I studied, um, I studied organizations. I studied org charts. I studied how that stuff works. So I know what they look like. So we're going to go recruit high school kids that have the potential to play in the NFL. And by doing that and pouring into their lives and making them better men, the result of that is we will be in the college football playoffs. We're not going to talk about, like, we want to be in the college football playoffs. We will be in the college football playoffs. I hope it's in two years, but it'll be in the first three, uh, and we will be a dominant group of five program that people won't use that term. We'll just be considered one of the best programs in the country. I don't know any other way of doing it. I said this when I went to Lipscomb. People go, oh, it's just high school. Okay. When I went to that program, there were 38 kids in that program. Six were lifting with the PVC pipe. They were running out of bounds and not tackle our rival, giving up 400 yards of rushing in the first half. They'd won three games in two years. They were ranked 3,000th in the country. As of today, we're a top 10 program in the country, and we'll have NFL players on that roster. I bet you there's six to eight guys that play in the league off that high school roster, and there's 25 that are going to play college football. We know how to build this, and we're going to do it here.
Trent Dill for joining us. Trent, just so we're clear on this, what you just said, not a question of if, but a matter of when. You just said UAB is going to be in the college football playoff. Listen, I'm not going to bet against you, my man. I've known you a long, long time. I can hear it in your voice and the energy. But this is a really big, big swing and a big statement you just made. How do you know? What makes you so convinced that you can have this program in the college football playoff? Because excellence in football is about people. It's not about talent. Now, talent's a big part of it. Uh, recruiting is everything, but it's ultimately about people. Okay, so you, you develop people. It starts with your staff. You hire great people, and you develop great people. Those people then overflow into your student-athletes. As you develop them as people, they become better men. They make professional decisions outside of the building. They learn how to make their bed. They learn how to open the door. They learn how to make, leave a place better than they found it. They learn how to make highly sophisticated decisions within their life's work. That pours out into the football field, and you make great decisions on the football field. Great football is an overflow of human development. You develop coaches, you develop players, you develop other personnel in your building, and then the white lines becomes easy. It actually is the secondary thing in building a great organization. You serve your organization, you serve your people, and the overflow of that is dominant football. And we're not going to win games. We're going to dominate games. Trent, let me ask you something. And I'm not, not in any way looking for anything hot take-ish. But based on what you just said, I'm really curious about this. Like, your path is different. You're going to make the move from high school to college football. And that's going to be challenging enough. But since you both used to work at ESPN, you have that in common. What did you make of Jeff Saturday going white from the studio to the Colts with no NFL head coaching experience, no college head coaching experience, but right to that spot. What did you make of that hire? That's a tough one. Uh, much bigger than this. Okay, so I think I've been asked that question a lot, and I, I want people to understand it's a very different dynamic, right? We're, 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 I'm, one, for one, let me, let me give you a fact. Sure. What I'm rolling into is 0 for 4. So there's been four high school coaches hired in the FBS level. They're 0 for 5 and 0 for 4, and everybody thinks I'm going to be 0 for 5, and that couldn't make me happier. Like, I love the fact that everybody thinks I'm going to be the fifth failure. Um, but it's different, right? I'm dealing with younger, more impressionable student athletes. It's more about culture. It's more about um, helping them become better men. It's helping them discover their abilities on and off the field. Um, there's a nurturing. That's the word I'd use. There's a nurturing that goes on in college football that, if done right, can be incredibly impactful. The NFL is a cutthroat business. Uh, you don't have all the decision-making. That's the other thing. When you're the head football coach in college football, you are making every decision. Like, now it's a collaboration, but ultimately you make the decision. That's not true in the NFL. Every head coach that's listening to this interview is like, wow, he knows that? Like, they don't make all the decisions. The head coach does not have all the power. Other people have power. So you're kind of, you're, it's a more highly sophisticated political job than a college job is. Now, I think Jeff is the right kind of person I think he's wired for it. I was supportive of the hire. I think he's going to be really good. But his challenges are way different and far greater than my challenges. Now, there's no doubt, right? In the NFL trend, obviously, you have an owner and you have a GM. There's lots of other people who have a voice and they've got a hand in it. And you don't have that kind of control. Trent, leave me with this thought because you and you made this point this week. You're like, hey, man. I'm not this old guy. I've got some juice now. I've got some juice. Dude, I can hear it. Trent, you're 50. Have you been running and you've been working and you've had this plan and you've been working a plan, 
But shoot me straight now, because I think about this quite a bit, and I'm trying to find this this gear in myself as well. And I think a lot of people that are of our age, past 50, that are still looking for something, looking for that purpose, this juice, this fuel. Have you been running on this this entire time, or is this something that you've come to of late? What's driving you at this point? It hit to me in 2019. I had a mom. I might start crying, so forgive me if I start crying. I had a mom of one of my teammates, of one of my players, uh, the first year. And after she had seen me with the boys and rebuilding this program in high school and just diving in, like, I mean, it was 20 hours a day of everything, every day. My family was in Texas. I'm, I'm living on the couch uh, in my office. Uh, it was just relentless. And she wrote me a note, and then she came and met, met with me, and she goes, I don't want this to sound weird, Coach, but you've gone through the worst pain any human can go through. For those of you who don't know, I lost a son when he was five and a half. He was our second child. He's in heaven now. I told the story all over the country. She goes, you've had this incredible pain that's been turned into passion. And that's how to answer that question. I mean, since 2019, this pain index has been just directly put into this passion index. And I wake up tingly. I literally wake up tingly. The hair on my arm stands up. I'm getting ready to walk into school in Mobile, and I'm pumped to meet this coach. I've never met this guy. I don't even know if he has any players. I just want to get to know him. Like, I wake up tingly. My whole body just feels like this is what I was made for. I get in a, I get in a conference room with coaches, and we're talking inside zone or GT, or we're talking defensive simulated pressures or coverage schemes. We're talking personnel. We're talking culture in the building. How do we make the nutrition better? How do we make the equipment better? How do we make it safer? How do we do human development better? And I just never stop. Like I've gone now, there's times I hit the wall at 50 and I got to get some sleep, but I just never stop. And my mind never stops. And it's always on the kid. And that's what I said at the press conference. I mean it. Coaching has become an ambition profession. It's about ambition, the institution, the organization, and it should be about the kid. And I am player centric and I wake up and go to bed thinking about how can I make this kid better. Trent, it's incredible. Really quickly, with respect to your time, can you explain? Is there a process? How do you turn pain into passion? Can you explain that or is it just something you do? A lot of it's my faith. I don't want to bang anybody over the head with the Bible. You know, that's not me. And I think a lot of it is I've, I've been introspective. I've, you know, I was depressed. Matthew Hasselbeck helped me pull out of depression. And then I got my, my medication to become alcohol or drugs became fun. You know, I made a ton of money. I had a lot of resources. When I retired from TV, it was fun. You know, I masked the pain with fun. So I played golf 218 times in 2018. I have five country club memberships around the country, some of the best ones in the country. I flew on jets to go on golf trips. I ate fancy steak dinners five nights a week. Like, I lived the dream that every man was living, but it was empty. It was, it, was, it was trying to duct tape a hole in my heart. And once I addressed the hole in the heart and what could fill it, and it was kids. It was the chance to parent boys because I lost my chance. And my daughters loved it. They were like, Dad, go do it. They're kicking me in the butt saying, you need to be around boys. Like, you've been around all these chicks. So I had five sisters. I got three daughters. I got a wife of 30 years. I got too in touch with my feminine side. I got too much estrogen going through my veins. 
And they're like, go be with boys. That's what Trevin would want you to do. And I think that's, that's actually filled the hole. It hasn't duct taped it. It's filled it. And that's why I can wake up every morning and bring on these guys in their fancy jets flying around recruiting against me. I'm in my Ford Raptor, and I'm beating them on the ground. Like, I'm pedal to the metal, school to school, coach to coach, city to city. I'm going to take this Raptor, and I'm going to go recruit because I got energy because I want more boys that I want to pour into and help them, help them reach their dreams. Hey, Trent, I don't need to ask you the question that everybody said or wanted to ask you was, hey, how are you going to recruit? Do you even know how to recruit? I, I already know the answer to that question. I'm not worried about that at all. He is the UAB head football coach. He was named coach last Wednesday. Trent, I never, ever on this daily program keep somebody as long as I kept you. I didn't mean to, but I was so caught up in that juice and that energy, my man. It is so good to have you back, Trent. Really appreciate you and the friendship. Go get it, man. Do what you do. Let's go, Jim, baby. I'll come on anytime and breathe some fire. Let's go. Good night now!